Hi, this is uh, Stephen Fisher. And this is John Sutton. And this is Quixotic. Uh, so in this episode, uh, we are going to discuss the Snyder Cut. Because um, uh, it will be very timely in getting this out, because uh, it did just come out. And it'd be good for us to, at least since we're both kind of pop culture nerds, and I'm a little bit of a, uh, a film geek that, that we can talk about this. John, I know, has a lot to say about film, and so I know that uh, he'll have a lot of different thoughts on this. <laughs> you kind too, of a recovering dude. You, you, pop culture nerd. Yeah, but you have you have a deep appreciation for film that most people don't. This is why, like, I, if, if I always thought about writing a film, it'd be with you. So you just, uh, I just decided to, to do something else with your life instead of be a bum and a bohemian. So, all right. Um, so yeah, anyways, I had enough of that. That much is true. <laughs> um, all right. Without much further ado, I guess we could talk about what we like to drink during these shows. John, do you want to go first? I will go first. Today I'm going for the quintessential Southern Gentleman cocktail, the mint julep. Is this because uh, you I live in not... the South? <laughs> well, I've made it before. I made it before I ever lived in the South. I do not have a julep cup, however, and I know sometimes you can use a rocks glass. I'm using my, my mule cups for this because uh, a, julep, a julep cup kind of looks like this, uh, but it's stainless steel and it's kind of, you know, vase shaped. And when you make a julep, you actually pack it with, you. Cr- it's crushed ice and you just pack it to the brim with ice. But, uh, this same principle, don't even necessarily really need the straw. I, I used it to stir. I'm just sipping on it with the straw. But So, yes, I am making a mint julep with uh, rye bourbon, which kind of a I was I got that so I can also use it for Manhattans which is what I might be drinking next week and not a big whiskey fan but these are kind of my two things and instead of normal sugar I am using turbinado sugar which I made some simple syrup with and ground some of it into fine sugar to use a mixture of the simple syrup and the fine sugar to muddle my mint with and it's actually mint out of my backyard too this is not store bought mint that's cool. So, what kind of um, we're going to talk about? Like, what what, what type of rye are you uh, using? Oh, what type? I just grabbed one. I don't remember. Let me wow, you're not, you're not even that picky about it. You're just going to get up and walk away. So far, to our one listener. <laughs> called redemption redemption okay and is it a southern is it it's like a kentucky rye is like is it the I'm idea i'm guessing because it's a rye bourbon I've, never, I've actually never heard of a rye bourbon before but hmm. it's it's rye whiskey let's put it that way so okay. maybe technically yeah should you be never using know it for a julep but you know what it works I got, you got to ask because uh, there's you know kentucky there's like there's like we make our own rye whiskey out here in denver and yeah, you know, is, is maybe I am wrong, but isn't bourbon a regional thing? It is Kentucky. Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. I mean, Jack Daniels is a bourbon technically maker's mark all this stuff, but but I mean, that's the same thing as saying whiskey technically is a uh, a regional thing because it has to be Irish, right? Um, or that Scotch can't be made anywhere but Scotland. Like you, can, oh, I like, you, the, like the it, Scotch thing. Well, and Scott Scotch is made with pea. Yeah, but it's not like you There's can't the, make uh, scotch anywhere else. Who's that? Uh, 
that YouTube channel. I'm trying to remember the the bartender guy. I was showing him. Oh, the, that he tries all the different. Uh, he tries all the different ones, but he's done like breakdowns on rum, breakdowns on whiskey, and he just he discussed like I think bourbon has to be all corn mash. Uh, he went through it all. The one that has the least amount of rules is Japanese whiskey, believe it or not. Um, kind of anything can be Japanese whiskey. They don't they don't really have rules as to what what goes in the mix. No, there's that's but, Japanese uh, like wine is rice, like <laughs> right, like or plum or, or you yeah, know they're just like here you go. But their whiskey is not. But actually, probably again, not a whiskey fan. But probably the best just sip of whiskey I've ever had was a Japanese whiskey. So. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'd agree with that. Like some of the best like beers I've had have been Japanese beers. So, you know, so I, I would agree with that. Hands down. Um, all right. So I am drinking a red wine. I told John before we we're going to do this, that I was going to drink a mezcal till this evening, but, um, and we're done. I got to work. Drink it, we're wine. doing this on a Sunday. <laughs> we're done. Uh, we're doing this on a Sunday. I gotta wake up. I gotta wake up tomorrow early and work. And I, I'd rather just not be dealing with a tequila, you know, mezcaling over stuff. So. And, and I don't. Like, well, I mean, I have a workout and working out early in the morning, dealing with you know a night. I've had quite a weekend of, of booze and mezcal. I didn't want to really throw on top of it all, so I'm going easy, which is a glass of nice. Yeah, yeah, just like you know, lots of drinking this, this weekend. I touched so. the straw. It's just, I'm just sitting on it. <laughs> You're doing it. No man looks right sipping through a straw. Let's let's just put it out on Front Street right now. To, like, no man looks right sipping through a straw. Like, the only way for a man to drink is, you know, to drink. <laughs> Some sorry, know, like a straw. It just looks stupid. Um, I, uh, whatever. These Anyways, so this- because Moscow mules are drinking in a straw. <laughs> Fine. Fair enough. Maybe, maybe, maybe this gets back to how I feel about Moscow mules and these little these little plates. They're nice, but like because this is cold, a lot of ice in here, and it's metal, so it condenses and it sticks. Like it sticks. So every time I go to pick it up to take a drink, it's like. Um, so anyways, though, uh, so that clattering that you hear is John just, you know, and his drink. Uh, but this is a, uh, this is actually from, uh, Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola's vineyard. Uh, it is a Malbec, but it's their barrel sample Malbec. So I don't exactly know how they do that. Um, I don't know if it's before they actually like decide to like, it's had enough or what. Um, but I know if you remember, typically you get at least, one of these, I'm not a big fan of the couple of Malbecs, um, but I figured I'd drink this tonight since I, I had some fajitas. So, you know, to go with fajitas, you can drink a good Malbec. Why not? So. Okay. I do like Malbecs, but uh, you need to uh, – those with the, when you came to visit me, those wines were very good, and I've actually kept the bottles from them because they're cool. Yeah, yeah. So Eternally and- Silenced Pinot Noir uh, from uh, Prisoner Wine Company. I think they were both from Prisoner Wine Company, if I think about it right. Um, yeah. <laughs> they were, but only one was a Pinot Noir. I don't remember what. Yeah. I think the other one was just a red blend. But uh, yeah, 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 the other one was a red blend. I just can't remember what the name of it was. They're they're both really good. Oh, uh, oh, the other one was Deranged. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah, Deranged is a, is a red blend. Yeah, yeah. So. Since uh, are you are you a member with the Coppola? I know that's the yeah. I'm a, I'm a member with uh, Coppola, and I'm a member with um, uh, Prisoner Wine. 
So, okay. and I signed up to be a member on um, uh, Caduceus. Okay, I wouldn't so. necessarily say become a member. I've thought about it, but you know, I'm I'm not a rich man. But maybe or, or order from Castella de Amorosa because that was the winery tour we did, and men were their wines good. They make really yeah, good wine there. As long, as long as it's not just so the the Pinot that that I've had. With you surprised me. The gamay that I've I've had a couple times has surprised me because because you don't um, like Pinot Noir, right? I don't like Pinot. There, I don't I don't like the word zesty when you describe a red wine. It just seems weird to me. Um, and every single time, like the Pinot, they always put the word zesty or lemon, and and I'm just like, it's not like I don't drink a red wine because I want lemon. Like I would expect that out of a white wine, never a red wine. And I guess some people are surprised by it. They like it. I've only had a very, like very few select Pinots where I'm like, that was good. That was not bad. But for the most part, like I tend to, st- I, I like, I like fruitier wines. I like big fruit wines. Um, I like low acidity. Um, but I, and, and I love, I love like really dry. Um, uh, and so like, get and like, the Castella de Amorosa and try their Merlot. There's a dry, low acidity, get their Merlot. Well, as long as it's not like I'm drinking a box of grape juice and I'm fine. Um, which is unfortunate cause there's a, there's a Merlot by prisoner wine called Thorn and it's not bad, but, but I feel like I'm, drinking a box of grape juice. I don't feel like I'm drinking wine. Like it kind of loses some of the wine flavors from that, that, you know, and, and you just get a lot of like, uh, really, really sweet, uh, like berry kind of stuff, like, like strawberries and blackberries and blueberries. And it's just like, after a while, you just kind of get tired of it. You're like bored with it. So, but no, you'd like Stello and they take their product seriously. Very interesting. He, the original founder was an Italian immigrant who started a winery and lost it to prohibition. So he started this one, the Castello de Amorosa after prohibition ended. And he has an authentic medieval castle. He had all the stones shipped over from Italy. And so when you go to the winery, you can take a tour of the castle and it's, yeah, it's a fun little tour, but they they do make good wine. Yeah, it is really good wine. And that's from somebody who, you know, I, I didn't buy forty dollar plus bottles of wine before I ever went there. So, well, yeah, I know. Um, I was, uh, I was a big you know, fan. I was always a little tail. I've <laughs> always been a bit of a wine wine nerd, and so um, I would buy forty dollar bottles of wine. It's just now that I've upgraded to like sixty, seventy, eighty dollar bottles of wine. I have a Cabernet called a, a Mercury Head from the Orrin Swift Company. And it's kind of cool because it has the the actual mercury head, uh, but I, you will never catch me unless unless I am absolutely depressed and have nothing else to drink, and I'm just like I just want to drink this. It is a hundred and thirty dollar bottle of wine, and so I'm like, I think I'm just gonna let it sit for like a really good occasion. I don't know what that occasion is yet, but we'll figure that out. So you know, okay. when when I get married again, we'll see that maybe maybe. Or you can just come out to here for a weekend and just. We'll split it. Why don't you come out here and we'll split it? Because I have obligations. <laughs> obligations. That's one way. That's it. <laughs> obligations. 
Just say you're married and you have kids, not obligations. <laughs> I don't. I have, I'm married. I have kids, and I don't work from home. So that's true. That's true. Like you don't. You don't quite have the uh, uh, the flexibility that I do. So yes, very and true. all the 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 immediate trips I'm going to be doing are already spoken for. That's the other thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we'll figure out our next yours and I's next trip where we can sit down and just drink rum on a porch somewhere again. So um, we'll figure that one out soon. Anyways, uh, we're we're, di- we're diverging away from where we wanted to go. Uh, this is not John and Steve just get together and shoot the shit for an hour. This is John and Steve try to at least yeah, tilt at windmills in one way or another. So um, so let's keep the conversation. Rolling. Um, Cider cut. Um, I have my own thoughts. I actually put them out on Twitter. Um, I didn't put all of them because you know it's Twitter. Um, There, I first and foremost, like. Just quick, what did you think of the Snyder Cut, John? Like, we don't have to get into like the the, the the deep deep part of it yet, but just just what did you think of it? Liked it. Okay. Same here. Uh, yeah, yeah. I did like it, uh, sure. and not just that I was hyped for it. Uh, and I actually wasn't. I was actually kind of thinking like I, I was waiting for the train wreck to happen. Like I was, I was like. It's going to be a train wreck, and I, I'm just I'm waiting for that to happen. So I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't the train wreck that I was expecting. So, all right, that's enough about that. Yeah. So, <laughs> <moving on. laughs> all right. So right, good talk. So you, yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Click. Um, no. Okay. So so we'll uh, let's let's talk about it a little bit though. Um, everybody who's probably seen the Snyder Cut has seen the original. Whedon cut, for lack of a better term, uh, right? And you could already see off the bat, like the color grading that went into effect to brighten the mood. Like, um, I was expecting a dark film because Zack Snyder typically throws a freaking black filter over all of his cameras, just the same as Tim Burton puts a blue filter in all of his cameras and that's all you get. Right. So, so we were like, I was already expecting less light, less like the color grading to be the color to be really drawn down and almost because, you know, to a black and white kind of style, just little traces of color here and there, uh, almost sepia tone, like, and, and you you see that. Exactly. Exactly. He, He like his black is black. Like you could you can compare the two and there's a little bit of light in the black. For Whedon, there's there's just black as black. Like he's like, no, it's you're getting sucked into that hole. Uh, <laughs> so so right off the bat, like I was uh, I, I knew to expect that, um, and I was actually wanting that. Like you want a movie. Like I the whole thing with me with DC is like DC should stand apart from like the things that sell for the Marvel universe probably shouldn't worry. We shouldn't worry about that sell for the DC universe. Like you shouldn't have to make a cheery Batman. Batman's not cheery. Batman is always a dark. These that's why he's called the dark Knight. He's the caped crusader. Like there's, you know, he has these terms. He doesn't need to be cheery. And we don't need to be laughing at everything, his antics. We don't need a 1960s Adam West Batman movie. We had that with Clooney and Val Kilmer. And we saw, like, 
nothing gets I still the one the one line that always gets me is is Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Mr. Freeze you can't put me in the kula right like and you hear that and you're just like we, we don't need another like reinvention of Joel Schumacher bat nipples all right no, um no. and so no. for people to complain that like it's always his stories are too dark or whatever it's just like this is Snyder and this is this gets me this is where I get to with Snyder is like or Warner Brothers Warner Brothers has a really bad history of hiring directors in general and expecting them to fit their model. So they hire a director, they hire, let's just say talent. They hire talent for the name, but not for really what that, for what they want out of that talent. Right. They know this is Snyder. Like they knew, like if you've seen any Snyder movie, this is who he is. That's how he represents all of his films. And so it, it's just, it's really, it's, it's really interesting for them to kind of say, Oh, we need more humor and we need it to be lighter. We need to brighten the tone. We need it to be less dark. All right, fine. Whatever that means. Less dark. Did, did Kubrick ever work for Warner brothers? Yeah. yeah all of his movies are Warner brothers. Huh? I wonder was, how that worked. So back in the day, change of management. Yeah, <laughs> they had to change of management. <laughs> well, so so back in the day, though, uh, directors were very rarely hired on as as, um, as just they go they, they they didn't go from studio to studio. They were hired on as studio directors, the same same way as like writers were hired on as studio writers. And so Orson Welles was on his studio. Well, um, uh, Kubrick was was always a Warner Brothers. Like all of his films were Warner Brothers. Um, even Spartacus, <laughs> even Spartacus. Um, so, so that's just how it worked. Like that was, that was just part of it. But I, I also think that like they knew Kubrick enough to know that like, he's going to deliver, like he's got his base and he's going to deliver to that base. And then you have Spartacus, which really shows what happens when the director is not in charge of the movie. You know, when you have somebody like Kubrick, who's, who's not in charge of that film. So anyways, though, this, this actually brings up a really good point. So this is one of the things that struck me as very odd, like right from the get go is you start, the movie and they give a little disclaimer. HBO Max gave a little disclaimer that says this movie is going to be framed in four three to fit with the, with the director's wishes. Why? So every movie, every home television set is sixteen by nine these days. Every te- like, I dare you to find a home that has a four three television. I dare you to. Everything is widescreen. So why would Snyder, who filmed it in widescreen, we know he filmed it in widescreen. It had to have been filmed in widescreen because you don't just go and post-production the shit out of it and make it like all of a sudden widescreen. Like, you know that you filmed it in a 16 by 9 format. So why would you why would you turn around and then crop the film? And or I don't even know if he cropped it because you could tell in certain sections that like it became stretched out up above. So... It, it was a very weird choice for him to make to, to, to push it in. Um, and so you think it like, again, we talked you just asked me about Kubrick. Kubrick was known for filming in a four, three aspect ratio. You no, know, he still filmed, you know, widescreen because ultimately like the first run of his movies was always shown in a theater, but he purposely cro- He purposely blocked his film to be four, three, like all of the action took place in a four, three format. And this was, for, this was because he knew that at the end of the day, home video and like the secondary market for his movies was always going to be home video. And he was such a perfectionist and he was such a genius that he wanted to make sure that when you watched it in the movie theater and when you watched it at home, you never really missed the action. 
And we've all seen it before. We've seen uh, back in the day when we watched, when we had the 4-3 movie and then we went to the letterbox version and the way it cropped the film and didn't, or, you know, things that were missing from the screen because they, because they had to make it fit for a 4-3, right? And, and so you miss certain pieces of action um, uh, that, that normally you'd get. Now we get it just fine. Being, like the, to us, like this is, this is what we get it. I remember when I first started watching Letterbox when I became the film nerd that I was, and every movie that I bought was was Letterbox because I wanted to fit it. Like it needed to be perfect, right? I didn't care about the black bars. I cared that I was seeing the whole vision with the director intended. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it, man? Like, why why would he do I've that? Heard, I've, I've heard some speculation as to maybe it was to cut down on render times and stuff like that. Um, because it is got to be rendered the whole thing. Kind of, um, uh, and I heard that. I don't know. It certainly didn't take away from the movie. Uh, I just wonder if it was this little quirk to be different. Or yeah, I I agree that he didn't take away from the movie. Like watching it, I was afraid that I was going to be like watching this this boxed movie, and uh, and then it like was fine. Like it never really drew me away from the film itself or the stories. And I've just watched it the one time. I don't know. So going back, I'm starting to wonder. And if I think about, did he? apply verticality to his to his cinematography more and I, I'm not thinking about it more than like your big wide sweeping like Lord of the Rings widescreen battlefield shots stuff like that since I don't maybe he didn't even realize that was he did he do 4-3 and then think of his film in more of a vertical fashion than horizontal and it was, I'd have to like go back and rewatch it to see if that's maybe that's what it was. But if he so had kind you of to see more of the action like up here and down here, high, less. high and low as opposed to left and right. Um, yeah. But that's uh, that's me spitballing. Uh, so I mean, that's that's the best that's the best excuse that I've heard so far, right? Because you think about Christopher Nolan, the whole reason that he loves filming in uh, IMAX is because he gets that whole, like he can include so much more in the frame from top to bottom, not just from side to side, you know? So in his mind, like that, that just makes much more of a difference. So that could be it. That could be, that could be one of the reasons. So I mean, it's a pretty good spit on it. Um, so the things that I did really enjoy about it, um, well, I should say like, I really lost a lot. <laughs> I should say a lot more. Like I, I, I've been losing, I used to think Wayden was, was a fun director to watch. Um, you know, cause the first Avengers movie, Serenity, Firefly, like the, he and Buffy. Right. Um, but, but I, I, I don't know if this was like his, his like F you to DC. I have no clue why he chose to do it. Like, cause you see the finished film and you're like, what was his thinking? Like, why would he, like this was, and, 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 and I should stick up for Whedon a little bit because just, I, I think this gets lost and in, in just in, in the stuff that I do, the, the job that I do, right? Um, there's nothing worse than picking up a piece of code from another engineer who's been working on it halfway through and then has to go abandon it because they 
going to another job. They're doing something else. like, you know, they're going to a different project, they're going to a different team. I, just any number of reasons why that might happen, right? And then you're picking yeah. up what their baby is. And essentially when you're writing code, it's, it's, it's your own creative endeavor. You're engineering something, right? And there's nothing worse. Like all of a sudden coming in halfway and you have this giant list of requirements that your product team or your other team has given you and said, we need you to fulfill these. And you look at the code and you're like, I have no clue what, how any of this was trying to fulfill this. Right. And they had their own genius way of putting things together. So, so in some ways, like I feel for him because he had to essentially take the reins a little bit and he's under the gun from Warner brothers and Warner brothers is saying, this is what you need to do. And this is, you know, and so in some ways, like I get, like, I I don't want to just malign him and say like, yeah, he's the worst guy in the world. Like I get it. Like I can understand it. He probably felt a little under the gun and he's like, what the hell are we going to do? Now he had the option of going back for reshoots and stuff like that. And some of the things he could fix in post. But that being said, the, between the two films, the story and the intent were like 180 degrees different. Um, and, and I don't even need to, to mention all the different ways, but like, who's the main villain in Waden's versus who's the main villain in the second one, right? Or in, in the Snyder Cut. Um, how do they set up the additional movies? So Snyder took the extra time to turn around and say, I want to set up the cyborg movie. Because why? Because this is how I'm putting my vision into this series of films. The same way that John Favreau did for Marvel, right? Um, and Waden did for Marvel as well. Um, so you have, you have the, the cyborg stuff, you have all of the additional Barry Allen footage, which I thought was freaking phenomenal. I don't like Ezra Miller. I think, I think he's a horrible Barry Allen, whatever. Take that for what it is. It's not my choice at the end of the day. Um, I think they could have found a million different actors to pay, play Barry Allen. Right. Fine. Barry Allen's kind of, I've always put him to the Spider-Man of the group. Like he's the one, he's the comic relief. Always has, always been. He's the smart ass, right? He's not supposed to be the serious one. And Ezra Miller, unfortunately, just even with the added scenes, never really gave me enough of like Barry Allen being the smart ass kid. He's still kind of like just Ezra Miller. I didn't lose, like I didn't lose that, who he was. Um... (laughs) But I did enjoy the scenes, like him learning about the speed force more, him learning about how he could actually manipulate time by running super fast, uh, which totally sets up all the flashpoint narrative that they want to get into when it comes down to the new movie, which knowing now, <laughs> like seeing the Zack Snyder side and seeing the Whedon side, I'm like, there's no fucking wonder why this movie's stuck in development hell. They don't they have no starting point. You know, now they have to retell Barry Allen's story because they didn't spend enough time introducing him in Justice League. Suddenly he's just the guy who runs fast in the original Justice League. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. This That was a problem going in when they were doing Justice League and they had literally had Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Yes. And they Avengers was all the hotness and all the rage. So they're like, we need a DC Avengers. We need it now. And it's like, well, Avengers had their origin story movies. All this, not all of them, but all, the superheroes all had their their own movies going into that. They didn't have that for Justice League. 
So yes, they were trying to start it with them, and which you really can't because you know you got to introduce all these people. They all have to have their. So he's doing a lot of that with one movie, which kind of explains the runtime. And by and large, he did it pretty well. Um, yes, and I, I did like because yes, Flash is the. The comic relief, so to speak, but even that was more subdued. So there wasn't a lot of it. It was just, it was a kind of a, it was just a darker tone in general. Yeah. Um, what did you think about all the added, like to me, and again, just because, you know, I'm, I'm the comic book nerd. I'm not really a DC comic book guy, but I'm more of like a Marvel guy. Always have been. But I've always known that Darkseid was always the big bad and Steppenwolf was just always this general, right, of Darkseid. Like, he was just a, like just somebody who helped pave the way for Darkseid. And so it was really odd for, for them to even make Darkseid the villain of the original Justice League. Like, why would they do that? So what did you think of... Because So adding Darkseid as the actual, like, bad guy, like, just opened that door. I was like, this is the actual... This is the way it should be. What did you think of that? Oh, it was great. Because Darkseid's scary, you know? Yeah. Uh, that was so much... Very much in keeping... I'm phrasing that correctly, I think, with where it's supposed to be. Because mm-hmm. it was, and it, and also, Steppenwolf, why was he doing what he was doing in the original cut? You really didn't know. Yeah. There was no he reason. About the, <laughs> and he was the main villain when they did the flashback oh, to ancient times when the Atlanteans and the Amazonians and the humans all banded together. They were fighting Steppenwolf, and that was not the case. Yeah. Exactly, which even in this, they corrected it and made it dark side. <laughs> so, yeah. so again, like they've gone through this process of like showing no dark side really is just a general. And, and and again, like your comment right there gave it, gave it even more weight. Is like, why the hell was he doing what he was doing? Well, finally in the Snyder Cut, we get we get the answer. He's really claiming these planets for dark side, um, and he's he's trying to get back into his good graces. Um, so yeah, uh, it actually gave him motivation. You because Steppenwolf didn't have a motivation in the 2017 movie, he just didn't. No, he was just an evil guy. <laughs> it was like, why is he? Like, hence, again, this is Snyder being a good storyteller. I would have seen this four hour movie, I don't care. So, like, I would have seen this in theaters if somebody had said Justice yeah. League is four hours, I'd have been like, this would have been fine, great, I, four yeah, hours. I I would have. Like, That's kind of before we've discussed with Snyder. I I love Watchmen, especially the extended version of Watchmen. I know you don't, but I, maybe I just like slower burns than a lot of people do. But the four yeah. hours didn't bother me at all, and I just got this it. wasn't a slow burn though. I didn't I mean, consider it a, of, a slow burn. Well, in kind of the same way, I'm not comparing the two movies except in this one particular instance. This kind of the similar similarity between it and Batman v Superman that is a whole lot of dialogue for a action comic book superhero movie okay. and the same and it was the same 
There's a lot of dialogue yeah. in, a, in a movie that's supposed to be uh, people in their pajamas, you know, fighting <laughs> and explosions. Because that's really what comic movies boil down to. Yeah, that's true. That's a like, lot of characters. They're popcorn like, like, this, this is this is yeah. this is uh, this is like some this is an artsy version of a popcorn flick. This is that that's the way that I that I would put it. Kind of the best description I've ever kind of same with Infinity War. Like yeah. that was way more character development and sympathy for the antagonist than any comic book movie has any right to. But right. <laughs> even the comic books didn't get Thanos' story like where you're feeling like he, you should feel bad for Thanos. You're like, he's still evil and he's trying to get, get out of these gems. Who cares that he's in love with death? Like, who cares? Right? But that was that in that movie, you're like, oh, I get it. Like, I see he wants to save the, the, the universe. Like, I, I understand. Yeah. He's just going about it the wrong way, but he wants he's an eco-terrorist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so all right, so so on the on the that was, a little bit cut, of, like, that was a little bit of mint, by the way. <laughs> one down. You need to do a mojito one night, man. Probably will. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you have? Can you? Do you have a muddler? Give away a muddler. I have, I have three muddlers now. Oh, never mind. All right. I take this hobby seriously. Oh, you do. You do. Um. So it's about as serious as I take film. Um. I just don't do film. Um, I just critique other people's art. <laughs> um, That's where the money is now. Yeah, uh, true, 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 true. <laughs> I still, yeah. Um, At least they they are clout. So I mean, as far as this movie goes, I enjoyed it. I, uh, I do. A, I do. Not perfect. It's not perfect. Um, yeah, but it's not. It's not a work of art. It's not. Um, it's, it's Snyder is not a genius filmmaker, but he's a good storyteller, and they should have leaned into this more. And Warner Brothers lost, literally lost, the edge that they had in the DC universe because of the choices that they made uh, with with Zack Snyder. Like hands down, yeah. had they kept right, this right out of the gate, the patience in terms for a quick profit actually cost them money. Yeah. They needed to develop the DCEU. Because I actually kind of am more of a DC fan than I am Marvel. Batman's your favorite uh, superhero, yeah, isn't Batman, it? Batman's my favorite superhero, yeah. But, uh, you know, when we were young adults and the Justice League cartoon was on Cartoon Network, yeah, those that, that series was great. Yeah. And we, we needed and all these years and people have been bagging on the DC movies although you know Shazam was good Aquaman was pretty good Wonder Woman was passable uh, the first Wonder Woman was passable oh, yeah I, oh they, they made another one I didn't know um, uh, it was essentially Captain America in in address is, is essentially the way that I always put it like that movie was just a rehash of everything that Captain America was about yeah, but people have been bashing the DC movies lately and I, was, I don't, I'm watching the animated ones and the animated DC movies have been really good uh, um, I think I think Warner Brothers really animation though they 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 always no they, they never stick to the to the storyline. It's always kind of its own universe apart from the comic book storylines. They just kind of do some of the similar um, things. But Warner Brothers animation has always been pretty on par 
we grew up on the uh, animated adventures of Batman. Um, yep. I can't even remember what, what they were called, but but it was like essentially oh, Batman. Batman. Yeah. And that show Later on, was Batman phenomenal. Beyond. Batman Beyond. Yeah. 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 I would just say Warner Brothers animation has always kind of had it. Like they've, they've known what to do. Warner Brothers TV. Let's put it this way. Uh, as much as I don't like the arrow, I think that the, what they did with the flash was really solid. They did a really good job with the flash. Um, I did not like though. Uh, and I know a lot of people know the Supergirl. I started watching a couple episodes just because uh, Kevin Smith was directing it, and I thought it'd be kind of interesting to see how he kind of transitioned into TV. Um, but yeah, whatever. It's it's Supergirl. It's not all that great. But again, at the same time, like Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers TV just seems to get it right. They understand the formula, I guess, or maybe they just know that they don't need to spend so much money to get money out of it, and so they can just kind of do whatever they need to do. Um, but you can't translate that same ideal to film and unfortunately Warner Brothers has a really bad history of just keep of treating their in general it's not just DC in general they just have a really bad like they just don't understand how to keep top tier talent happy and let them do what they need to do where Marvel so you hear this about Marvel all the time like Marvel's like oh they, they misrepresent talent and all. I don't think that they misrepresent talent I think Marvel wants the filmmaker to add their style to it, but they want total control over the story, which I would be fine with. Because again, if Marvel's plotting 10 years in advance, they're deciding how things are going to match up and mesh and stuff. So for them to own the story and dictate how that story is going to play out, I would trust them. Feige has not been wrong in a lot of ways. Except for Captain Marvel and, you know, when they try to bring in the... I also think where they're going, they could be facing some problems here. Because if if they're smart, the people at DC, they might try to take this Snyder Cut as a springboard for a fresh beginning. Yeah. And this next decade could be theirs. What the last decade has been for Marvel, this next decade could could be DC's time because it sounds like whatever they're doing over at Marvel, they're trying to commit suicide as fast as possible. I don't, I don't think they're there yet. I think they're, they're going to last. Again, you had 10 years of being on top and they knew exactly where they were at and now they're trying to bring in this multiverse <laughs> where they didn't have to worry about well, that. They're also going they're also going super woke. Super woke. He's going woke, man. And they're doing the MCU. Of course they are, but they're doing the MCU now. So there's going to be the female Thor, the female Iron Man. Like the the next Avengers are all women. Um, and they're doing this thing with like, like a disease. Oh, that's a rumor. So I'm not I'm not going to go into that because that's a rumor. But uh, um, okay. So so. Uh, as far as the She-Hulk is concerned, though, so the She-Hulk is like, but there's always been a She-Hulk in comic. It's not like they're re- they're inventing this. They've always been one, but they're basically just going to take all the men out of the Avengers. No, so again, there's precedent yeah. for this in in comic books. Like, I love how everyone's like it's woke, but there 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 is a line of there is a all female lineup of the Avengers called the A Team, and so. 
Well, if they're so going to like, try and make that carry, if they're going to try to make that carry the Marvel universe into the next decade, I think they're going to run into trouble. I don't think so. I honestly I don't, don't because I don't there's, there's enough females out there that cared was- enough that Wonder Woman was on the screen. And even though Wonder Woman, the second Wonder Woman was such a piece of shit, there's enough females out there that were like, oh, it's Wonder Woman that they gave the, that that movie. I am saying for the foreseeable future, Endgame was probably going to be the last high note out of the MCU for the foreseeable future. And if DC is smart, they will capitalize on that for the next oh, decade. I'll tell you what. Wait till Doctor Strange 2 comes out. And the next Guardians of the Galaxy comes out, and you t- and you tell me at that point, like if you still feel that same way that that Marvel's lost everything, like, or in the next Spider Man, because because those are the next three movies in Marvel's slate besides the Eternals, and I don't care about that, whatever. Um, but but just get those are the three next movies out of that slate. So, so we'll do. I'll do that, and it's that'll work for me. We'll see where it goes. I have watched the first two episodes of One Division. Yes, you, have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, I actually liked One Division. I, I, I appreciate the idea of it, and especially the theory there. Maybe it's not even a theory that One is actually the villain. Uh, I don't want to ruin it for you. Are you going to watch? So, Probably will okay. eventually. I've watched two episodes. I'll, I'll I'll get into it at some point. I finish it. It's really hard for me to finish care. it because it it's finishes really strong. I promise you, it finishes strong. It doesn't start. It. See, I've heard. I've no, heard it finishes so. strong. It does. I, I've heard the last episode. Of the no, mess, dude. Trust me. The guy who is like the film school guy. Like, trust me. It finishes strong. It's a good show. It takes some time, and I'm especially definitely give them points impressed for, with the fact that they're only doing one season. Definitely give them points for. I would, I would definitely give them points for creativity. Yes. Yes. Um, creativity. It's. It does. It does set up Doctor Strange, and I think that's going to be very important. We have a we have a mutual friend who keeps trying to watch it, and she's upset uh, because it doesn't make sense. But she's never seen any of the Marvel stuff, and she's like, "Well, somebody told me I should watch it." And I was like, "But if you haven't seen any of the Marvel things, why the hell do you care? Like, you just can't come in and catch." Have you seen any Star? Wars? What's that? If she's seen any Star Wars, you should tell her to watch okay. Return of the Jedi. <laughs> if, she, if she hasn't seen any Star Wars before, so like, you'll, you'll, you'll love it. Great, like, come in the middle of the whole saga. And try to figure it out. Um, and again, this is like I'm starting more and more to trust John Favreau and his visions with things. Um, if you look at the Mandalorian, I guess he's he's starting to tell Disney to back the f off because uh, they're getting a little too handsy now with it. And uh, you know, just let him be, let him do what he needs to do. Again, trust his vision to bring apart. Like he kind of helped rebring up Star Wars from the trilogies, which was supposed supposed to be what put Star Wars back on top. And so now you have Favreau who like took the to took the realm of Star Wars with the Mandalorian and there's like four different spin-offs coming off of it because of it. You know? Yeah. So and, and 
I don't. There's anything to complain about with the new trilogy because I don't know of any fans that disliked uh, Ahsoka. I think the fans are pretty excited for her yeah. spinoff. Uh, uh, they're they, they were excited for the Cara Dune shit for a little bit of time, and then you know that that shit we'll, see, we'll see how that goes. And I've heard. I heard that Favreau's trying to finagle something to like get her back, and who knows where that's going to go. I know that he was maybe Mandalorian was. Going. He had told Disney. I know that he had told Disney to back off. Like he he was like, "Let me handle it. It's my problem. Don't do anything." Like because he didn't. He's not a big politic person. Like at the end of the day, he doesn't he doesn't care what people's politics are, and he's not the woke, you know, kind of situation. He's not. I mean, he's been at Democrat fundraisers and stuff like that. But he doesn't bring it I into... I think his personal politics yeah. is right. doesn't, He tries not to bring it exactly. into work. Or, you know, or it's, at the end of the day, he just wants to make something people want exactly. to Exactly. Exactly. Um, so it'll be interesting. Uh, so anyways, we, we diverge off the topic. Justice League, worth the wait. Did you enjoy it? So... I did enjoy it. Did we want to, like, things things that we didn't or just a little, little uh-huh. you know, I, I found Aquaman very underutilized. And maybe to the same extent that he was underutilized in the original, but it just didn't, it wasn't as apparent. And yeah, I realized in the setting, all he could really be in that setting was a strong man. Like, his specific abilities and talents are not really applicable to that setting. But really, just all he was, I think he had the least amount of dialogue of any of them. By and by a margin, not just oh yeah, he had the few, fewest lines. I mean, by a good stretch. And then in this in in the scenes, he was basically just you know a strong man. And other than the scene where he first comes in to help them when the the tunnels collapsing, the water's coming in. That was really the only time Aquaman was on. Yeah, well, he did. Have, I mean, he had a good fight in the water when the with the mother boxes and stuff like that. Like there were there were. Early on, when he was by himself, yeah. and he lost that fight, true. But it was, but he was really just kind of there for that movie. I think that was one of the big weak things. There were two things in the original, very very small, that I kind of was missing. And the first one was the the absolute very first scene with Cyborg, where he's when his dad comes into the apartment and they're talking. And I don't remember exactly how the line went down in the original, but he made some comment about. A, a monster being a monster and his dad says you're not a monster he says interesting that you thought I was talking about me and he was talking about his dad and I thought that was just kind of one line in the original that I liked so I was missing that line in this one and then the other thing I was kind of missing it was that the implied flirtation the interest between Batman and Wonder Woman specifically Wonder Woman oh, yeah. and Batman and, and and I did like in the animated series when they would when they would talk about that you know how Wonder Woman was kind of crushing on Batman, um, and it was charming, and I liked it in just in the original Justice League release one because it was nice it was nice to see that and two it, it demonstrated her respect for him because he's not a superhero he's he doesn't yes. have superpowers he's an ordinary an ordinary guy that's going into all this with them and he could be killed way easier than anyone. Well, but he even, goes in there. Even Barry he, Allen's lying to him. In the original release, too. When they're getting in the car, Barry, what's your superpower? I'm rich. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I did like that. I, I, I like that in the original. But it just, she had respect because he was shooting up and doing this even though he was by far the most vulnerable. 
he can't take a direct punch from Steppenwolf like they can and stuff like that. So I, I did like that they showed that. And it's just two, I mean, the, the two combined scenes is maybe 25, 30 seconds of screen time. But it was actually kind of sad that they were not in this version. Yeah. I'll give you that. Um, I was not a fan. So, so right off the bat, I was not a fan of the 4-3. Like, again, it didn't detract me from the uh, from the movie. Uh Enough to be into, like it didn't. But but again, like if you do something, I feel like there's a reason for it, and I didn't see the reason. Um, it's it's like there's certain rules in the film. <laughs> Pardon me, sorry. Um, cut the cobus. Um, <laughs> uh, there's there's a, there's a lot of rules in film. Like like one of them is like you you never break the 180 plane. And that's, you know, and that rule is specifically set up so that way you're not confusing the audience, you know, uh, in which way things are set. Uh, and this was, to me, it's, it's not really a rule, but it just seemed like a very strange, it just seemed like a strange move. Um, so, so yeah, um, I, I would say that's, that was where, like, one thing that I just didn't, I didn't enjoy it. Like, it was like, whatever. But at the end of the day, who cares? It didn't take away from it. Didn't detract from the film. It just didn't make sense. Um, and I think that's probably where it still detracts from the film. Like I couldn't sit down and actually enjoy it because I was like trying to figure out like why four three. I don't get it. Why did he set things up this way? Um, the the other bit, the chapters. Um, again, like if if he was just trying to break the film up into into sections, like we originally heard that he was making a four hour long miniseries essentially just like chapters of film that we would see weekly or whatever um but again like why the cha- like the chapters again like if all you're doing is trying to make it more easily digestible for those people who can't sit down through a four hour movie then they shouldn't be watching the four hour long movie to begin with they can just stop the film wherever they want so it just felt weird again you take me out of the action and you try to describe what's going on with the chapter. And it just, again, you're, you're just making a made for TV movie. Same thing with the, with the four, three aspect ratio. I feel like you're just making a made for TV movie Like you're not making a cinematic experience. I kind of like, I kind of like the chapters. Did you? Hmm. Yeah, I kind of did. I like, yeah. and, and obviously, you know, they were supposedly like a descriptor. Cause it was almost like a book at that point, a descriptor for the story to come. So for the next 30, 45 minutes, this is what this is going to be about. It kind of reminded me of, like, The Shining, where it would say the day. Yeah. So that was, like, Wednesday. Like, they would have those black screen breaks in The Shining and just... But it wasn't a chapter. It was just Wednesday, Tuesday, you know. Tuesday. Well, it's a chapter, though. That's, that is kind of a, technically a chapter. So what you're trying to tell me, though, is you're trying to compare Stanley Kubrick to Zack Snyder now. No, I'm just saying that thing kind of reminded me of like the days in the shining yeah fair enough yeah um yeah this is my take on it again is just and this is just me i if you if you can't sit through a four-hour-long movie and you need chapters to tell you where to stop a movie at then maybe you shouldn't be watching a four-hour movie to begin with like maybe this just isn't the right movie and I, I heard 
in looking at comments online and people with mixed feelings on it, I know, and I was here. One of the things is, you know, it's way too long. It's way too long. And it's just, it's so long and they drag scenes out way longer than they need to. And at the same time, they don't spend enough time explaining things that they probably should explain a little better. So it's not a proper use of the runtime, which in my opinion, that was a very good description of the very, of the first half of Endgame. Because Endgame was a three, three and a half hour movie, and I thought the first hour and a half of that movie did not utilize its time very wisely. Um, yeah, there's almost a piece of me. But then a, a lot of other things. There was almost a piece of me with Endgame that felt like they were just basically trying to draw it out because they knew it didn't, like at this point, they were trying to make an epic. That makes sense. And also, but uh, the thing, and I, I wish I was was my original idea, but somebody pointed out people can complain about the time it takes to make this, or you know, to watch sit down and watch this four hours. But uh, I saw somebody make the point, you know, we're we're living in the binge culture where a whole CV whole season gets released at once, and people binge watch the entire thing. So the four hours is probably not that big of a deal for a lot of people. Sure. Because it's fundamentally no different than binge watching, you know, all of season one of The Witcher on Netflix or whatever you know, you're going to do. Yeah, no, that's that's actually that's absolutely true. Actually, there's there's no reason why anybody and there's plenty of time to stop, pause it, go to take a bathroom break, grab some more food, pop whatever you need, right, and just kind of chill out. So, yeah, there's there's thing, and not everyone's going to agree. And speaking professionally about Snyder, we'll get into him in a little bit, but <laughs> from a professional perspective, I think I'm a bigger Snyder fan than a lot of people are. So again, Watchmen, stuff like that. I didn't hate Batman v Superman. I understand why a lot of people did, but I didn't. Yeah, it wasn't a bad movie. It wasn't horrible. But he just... He just, it seems like he needs like a minimum of three and a half hours to, to, to make the movie he wants to make. He is a storyteller. And it just seems like that's his, his yeah. thing. At the end of the day, so. he like you have to give him the chance to make, to tell a story. Um, 300, how long was 300? What was the running time on 300? That was probably about two hours, 15 minutes. Really? That, you know, short, like Sucker Punch and... 300 were not very long. So it's not always 100% true, but one hour, 57 minutes. It was Batman only like it was. How long was sucker punch? I don't know. I didn't even know. Sucker, I didn't even know he did sucker punch. And that's you know, a lot of people thought that movie was stupid. And that when I, it was really hard to get what that movie is all about. An hour and 50 um, minutes. Sucker punch only an hour and 50 minutes. I didn't but even like I, that. Movie. I, I, <laughs> I barely remember. I barely remember it. You know, whatever. Don't care. Uh, so, but the, the rule of thumb doesn't always. But you know, Batman v Superman was a long movie to begin with, and there's an extended cut of that that added a whole bunch of stuff. And obviously, three hundred added the whole bunch. Yeah, I'm sorry, not three hundred. Uh, Watchmen. It, it really is like that. That man needs to make long movies. Watch, Watchmen did not add anything. Like Watchmen was what it was. The extended version. There was nothing added to it. Like the extended version was just more comic book. 
<laughs> like, dude, I, I don't know how to express to you. All he did was take the comic book and, also, and put it, also it in form. It added scenes and rearranged and rearranged a lot of. All he did was take the comic book and put it in visual. Like, if you watch the extended version, it is literally page for page except for the ends. All he did was take the comic book. This is why I don't like it. Because it is the same as watching the comic. Well, that's why it's a. That's why it's. That's amazing. not why it's amazing. Well, then that's why it's amazing. Do like, at least I could turn around. Batman vs Superman, Man of Steel, and this the Snyder Cut, right? Like everything that he has done for the DC universe, as far as these films are concerned, they're his own ideas. They're his own work of art. He didn't take a comic book and just put it in a movie form. It's like, it's like Sin City. It's like Sin City. Sin City, Sin City was Robert great. Rodriguez, at least still Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino and Frank Miller at least took their own visions of Frank Miller's books. It wasn't word for word, scene for scene, the comic book. Oh, frequently it was. Not, not Especially like, like with the Marshman. Like, like describing, like describing uh, or when he's going through his inventory before he takes on Kevin in Sin City. And it's literally, like, in the graphic novel, it's literally one page of, like, each That's item. fine. Ending with, in my bits. And they did that. Shot for shot. There's shot. no problem doing things like that. Like, I would expect some of that to come up. But not shot for shot. The same exact, like, I could have taken, dude, you could literally take the comic book next to the Watchmen movie and flip it page for page sure. until you get to really the end. That. Until you get to the end. Well, and also because the way Rorschach killed the, the the guy who killed the children or the daughter, the the girl was different. No, he cleaves him. In the, in the movie, he just cleaves his head in. In the in the graphic novel, he burns him alive. Uh, no, he cleaves his head in. <laughs> I will look it back up, but he cleaves his head in. <laughs> anyway, that's that's an amazing. If he really, really, truly, really did that, that's it. Is amazing. He truly, homage. truly did that. And no, it's not an amazing homage. I don't think you're right. But even if he did, that's that's incredible. Uh, uh, we will yeah, agree to disagree. When I, when I read the watch, there's not an original thing in the whole movie. Like that is a piece of shit. I, I really like. I really like the idea of this, but it's just too 80s for me. And that was my opinion of the, the Watchmen, where I really love that movie. Yeah. Um, the Watchmen aside, I do not think that he is he's a good storyteller. Um, I do agree that he probably needs four, four hours plus to tell like a great story. You, you say he's a storyteller, and now you're saying he's not a I, 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 I said he's a good storyteller. He's not, like, a genius. He's a good storyteller. He's just... I don't think that he's, like... Are there any... Are there any geniuses anymore? Tarantino, I'd still say, is a genius as far as... He's, like, the... I feel like he's the last great well, you, you said, auteur. You said he's the yeah. last auteur like he's a, in the industry. And now, auteur did not automatically it's true genius. it's true but yeah i mean even putting him in genius level is really hard because i still don't agree with his revisionist history ideas when he does films i think i think sometimes like it, it's fun to watch them blow up hitler and you know blow just blow like completely blow him away but i think we discussed that before i don't 
like that. And it has nothing to do with the scene itself, because I get what he was doing in the movie. In Glorious Bastards, yeah. a fun movie, and I get it. I have a problem with that scene has nothing to do with Tarantino himself. My problem with that scene is because we live in a world of idiots, and there is no doubt in my mind that there is a fair number of idiots out there who think that that's how Hitler died. (laughs) That is how the war ended. Well, even just... Like I, I feel like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I, I think that's a great movie. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's a very fun movie to watch. Um, but his revisionist history on the Sharon Tate murders, I think, did a lot of disservice to exactly what happened. Um, and he tried to make it make a situation funny that really is disturbing and fucked. Um, and and great for him for wanting to push that boundary a little bit and make me feeling comfortable in that and that's that's fine um but uh yeah i i just i don't agree with with his direction the way that he did it and so so there's things that like do bug me about tarantino but i do believe that and when i say that he's the last last great art art tour and art tour in uh hollywood like i really do mean it like he because only a true artist would push those boundaries you know in ways in ways that he's done it and and I wanted to see a Star Trek movie. I want to be perfectly honest. I really wish that he had gotten a chance to make a Star Trek movie. So that would have been kind of interesting. And I discussed a million times what I do like about Tarantino movies. I I get it because there's violent scenes in them. But before I ever really watched many Tarantino movies, he just he's just known for his graphic violence and all that and. There's way more graphic, violent movies than Tarantino's ever made. And it's not that their movies don't... Obviously, they do have graphic violence in them, but his movies are... It would be interesting to be an actor in a Tarantino movie because, man, he is so dialogue-heavy. I can't think of a, of a filmmaker who writes as much dialogue as he does. And typically scenes in a movie are 30 seconds, maybe a minute long. He has, he's done 12, 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah, and all of just one camera there too. He, just like, it's just like, I, the, the diner scene in, um, right entire the diner scene is a perfect example of that in, yeah. uh, in, a uh, um, uh, what was, uh, with Kurt, Kurt Russell. Well, no, 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 no. The, the, uh, the diner scene, oh. in, uh, it was uh, the Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, uh, uh, Death yeah, yeah. So that whole diner scene where they're, all the girls are sitting around the table, and it's—I think that that was a twenty-minute diner scene. I feel that, like, I feel like it was a twenty-minute diner scene, and just and just talking, and just the camera moving in between each each part of the conversation, and just and it was beautiful to watch. But man, that got boring quick because all the, like you couldn't follow the dialogue. I feel it. <laughs> But could you imagine writing that and filming it? Could you imagine getting cast in a Tarantino movie and holy crap, I have to memorize way more lines than I do for any normal movie. I have to have an entire conversation. <laughs> Which you almost have to wonder how much is is okay. uh, AdWords. He would make a movie and put a podcast in it and it'd be this yeah. like yeah. like like we would be two people in a Quentin Tarantino movie filming a podcast and this old podcast would be <laughs> one scene. Time. An hour of just somebody like recording a podcast. It would be the Joe Rogan podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> he would do that. He would do that. <laughs> so yeah, so like okay, so so is there any true genius? I I think you're Inglorious Bastards with uh, 
with the British guy who's the infiltrator who speaks German in that whole scene in the yeah. bar. And one, it's a long dialogue scene, and two, it's not in English. So it's all subtitles, and it's 10 minutes, 12 minutes. It's true. It's true. In the, the change of the mood, like as, you know, their cover gets slowly blown as the scene yes. goes on. So he had that element. He had that element working while the whole time they're just discussing things. And I just, I don't know another director. No, and that's, um, and this, this is, this is, uh, like, this gets back into your question. Are there any other geniuses left in film? And, and maybe, like, I don't, maybe there's not, like, was the last great genius, the last great film, film genius, like Stanley Kubrick? Was it, was it even after that? Like, would anybody consider Kubrick a genius? I mean, would you say Scorsese? I don't know if Scorsese is really a genius. Like, Scorsese is a good director. Like, he understands the art form. Um, but putting him in the genius level, that's hard, man. That's hard. He did. He did. Yeah, he did. And that was a great film. That was a good film. That's probably my favorite. You and I saw that. I think, I think you, that's you and I saw that together. We didn't see it in theaters. We watched it. But, uh,. You might have saw it in theaters. I did not. Uh, I could swear you and I were the one that saw it. And I just, one, because I know he does, he loves his crime movies, and we discussed that before. We were talking about overrated films. I'm not a crime movie guy. I mean, it's not, there's not a movie out there that I don't necessarily like, but I'm I'm just not a a crime movie guy. So I've never seen Casino. I can't get into The Godfather. I've never seen Goodfellas, you know, just so. Hell, I've never seen The Departed. So you've never seen The Departed? Wow, never seen The Departed. Um, you should see The Departed. I know that you don't like crime films, but you like the Batman films, and those are crime films. Like we talked about this in the last podcast. Those are, those are they are films. still crime films dude, because they still deal like the first two at least have enough of a mob, like underground criminal element to them to make them crime films. Yeah, but they're the, they're the, they're the villains of those stories. I'm, when I'm talking about crime films, I'm talking about where the stories about... They're the still villains, the dude. You still, like... So, so let's let's take Goodfellas, for example. They're, they might be the villains, but they're the... No, like, you don't want to see Joe Pesci's character get out of Casino alive. You want him to die. He may be... One of the main characters, okay, I, and I would I would stand by like Robert De Niro in that movie too. You, you at the end of the day, you want to see him die. Like you understand that there's a sense that these guys are evil enough. Take the Godfather films. I know you've never seen them, but at the end of the day, you want to see Michael Corleone get his right. come up. Like you want to see something happen enough, but you don't want them to win. Like you watch those films, and if you watch it with a sense of moral justice, you'll be like. He deserves everything he gets. Godfather, Goodfellas, like everything. And even at the end of the Goodfellas, like Ray Liotta's character is complaining about how he, all that he can eat is uh, the only good Italian food that he can find is egg noodles and ketchup and stuff like that. And at the and you just feel no remorse because you're like, look at all the bad shit you did. You deserve the the the, the best thing that you can deserve is egg noodles and ketchup. Like I'm like that's the best that you get. Sorry. So I, I think that you should 
give it a shot. Like, above all else. So, all right. Well, you have different, you have different I, takes I just, on things. Again, I'll if, give you that. If you talk about moral justice and think about moral justice in film, like, those, those really do a good job of at least making you feel... Like you, there's moral justice in this world, and even though they may be the protagonists, there's still like the end of the day, you're like, no, Michael Corleone better die, or something better happen to this dude, like in some (laughs) way. So, like at the end of The Godfather, like his daughter dies in front of him, gets shot, right? It's part of the, and you know he's sitting there crying, and the entire time, like you just don't feel bad because you're like, you deserve this. This is your hell. This is what you've done with your life. You know, you've you've lived off of uh, uh, this. Scarface is another, and I know you don't like Scarface, but he dies in the movie, and it's not like you want him to live. You know that he's going to die. Yeah, I just I I thought Scarface. That's fine. I mean, but, the, whatever. Like Scarface is boring. So genius. All right. Um, I would put Tim Burton to a certain extent as a genius just because he's weird, wacky and the things that he's, he's done. Like I would, I would give him the genius realm. Was he great? Was, is every movie that he comes out with great? No. Um, I'll definitely give him uh, certain props for obviously having a very, very, very specific style that is 100% him and you can just tell a Tim Burton movie like in the first 10 seconds while at the same time he has clear clear distinctions of stepping out of that comfort zone and making a very competent and good movie Coen Brothers namely would you give them the title genius 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 I might put them there I uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I think, was the last one that they did on it, and that came out directly to Netflix. Where I would be, inclined, I don't know if I'd give them genius. I, I, I'm going to say sure. And the main reason why is because of their range in terms of making a movie. Because they're they're definitely distinct. They have a very distinct style, true. But at the same time, the sheer difference between <laughs> intolerable cruelty and uh, no country for old men and uh, oh brother where art thou and Fargo and Barton Fink and the true grit remake. The fact that they made a remake, you know. So I will give them that in, in terms of the sheer range of filmmaking they can do. Okay. Uh, Jean-Pierre Junet. City of Lost Children. I don't even know who that is. Uh, you see, uh, have you seen Amelie? I've seen. And you've seen Alien. Okay, yes, I've seen Yes. Okay. okay, that's that guy. I wouldn't say genius. Um, I've heard great things about really great Okay, would you give Christopher Nolan the genius aspect? Considering what he tries to do with his film. 
Like, I think Dunkirk was his last, like, normal film. Really? Genius? No. I almost wonder, is is genius even a yeah, term that applies to film? It has really? to. Like, you have to... At the end of the day, you have to have people who understand films so deeply the art of what you can do with a camera because it's not just set up a camera and shoot like there's an art to it there's an understanding fair enough fair enough there's absolutely an art to it there's a skill Um, and also to get a finished product to the screen yeah is an incredible endeavor i'll get that and there is a in anything and I, i know this from photography so you've got to think for cinematography, this is only times a thousand, but there are a, there are a bunch of little tricks to photography mm-hmm. that no layperson knows about, but subconsciously it makes for a better photograph. And so there's probably a million and one tricks for cinematography that the average person going to see a movie will never notice. But it makes the film more enjoyable, exactly. even though they're not aware of it. All right. Guillermo del Toro. Visually striking, his movies are kind of... Pants Labyrinth? They're, they're entertaining. They're not... You never saw it, did you? Uh-huh. That movie... No, I saw Pants Labyrinth once. Uh, visually striking. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro is a very visually striking director. That's probably his smartest movie because usually he just kind of does. I mean, he did <laughs> Pacific Rim robot movie, <laughs> so, which was a fun movie. Do yeah. not take, do but, not shit on Pacific not, Rim. I am. I'm, I'm not giving that like Oscar worthiness. Fun, it's it's a fun it. movie. It's got Idris fucking Elba in it. It's a fun movie. I don't, I don't give a shit about the Oscars, but it's like they intentionally what, what was the year, year to make the best picture. I don't know. The, what was the movie that they chose this year? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You're like, whatever. I don't fucking know. I don't pay attention to that shit anymore. Uh, the last movie I could say won best picture in year was Return of the King. And yeah, okay, I know like Mystic River won, but I couldn't tell you when Mystic River came out. Fair enough. Um, I never saw it. Like, for a while, you know, I knew, like, I knew Dances of Wolves 190. I knew Silence of the Lambs 191. I knew Unforgiven 192. And that's, and Forrest Gump 194. I remember that. And that's, oh, The English Patient 196. Don't ask me how I remember these things. But that's just right off the top of my head. I don't, I haven't given a shit since. And then, then I remembered that Return of the King won 2003. That's it. Interesting. All right, David Lynch. This is a guy who knows film so much that all he does is make Definitely. art. This is all, like, at the end of the day, he just makes art. Yeah. And that is so hard to pick especially because a genius can make something cryptic 
and work and be really, really appealing to the eye. And then you can just make something so obtuse that it's just weird for weird's sake. And that's David Lynch. <laughs> you think he just makes shit weird for weird's sake? And I, I, <laughs> and I, I appreciate what he does, definitely. But I almost, going back, when I finally actually watched Twin Peaks, and I still haven't seen the, the new series, um, I've, I've watched Twin Peaks, I've watched Firewalk with me, and we started to watch the other movie that came out that was literally, it was just cut footage from Firewalk with me. It's literally all that movie was. So that's all I've seen. And then we watched... Uh, <laughs> Mulholland Drive. I've never seen Lost Highway. I've never seen Blue Velvet. I've never so seen never Eraserhead seen or anything like that. Like Blue Velvet, which is probably his one of his most normal movies to ever come out. Well, I know. Ironically, yeah. his most normal movie is The Dune, <laughs> the original Dune. Uh, I never saw Blue Velvet. I remember I was uh, at work standing at a uh, podium and there was a TV in a common room behind me and somebody this was in the middle of the night too this was uh, like 3 in the morning and I was at work and somebody was up late at night watching Blue Velvet so I was hearing it I could not see the screen but I was hearing (laughs) Dennis Hopper huffing gas and just like cussing Blue Street I have no idea what was going on. I have no. I know Isabella Rossellini's in that movie. I, I don't know the context of why he was doing what he was doing. But I've never seen that. Never seen Lost Highway. Never seen Eraserhead. I've seen Dune. I've seen um, Mulholland Drive, and I've seen the Twin Peaks. Have you seen the Elephant Fire Walk with me? Okay. Never seen the Elephant Man. And I will actually say, as far as David Lynch goes, I actually appreciated him getting reined in a little bit with the, the season and a half or whatever of Twin Peaks, where it was very much David Lynch, but it was not David Lynch <laughs> cranked all the way up to 11. This was a, like, Twin Peaks on TV was like 85% David Lynch, and that's like the perfect ratio of making something cryptic and weird but not just completely obtuse. Yeah, there were still some things in it, like what's his name going crazy and becoming like the Confederate general or whatever in his head, doing all that stuff. And it was like, how does this serve the plot? Because one thing that with something like the David Lynch style, because it goes against every convention in filmmaking, which is you don't waste any screen time, which makes making something cryptic hard because you have to not be revealed. You have to not waste screen time while at the same time not making what's going on on the screen just readily available. It requires some thought. It requires things that happen later. And that, that becomes a trick. Whereas like if David Lynch was going somewhere with the guy losing his mind and becoming like the Confederate general, I think that was in season two. If he was going somewhere with that, I missed it. And this was this was David Lynch with somebody with had a leash on him. And that was the, and that was what you could tell with it. when you watch Firewalk with me and he was no longer restrained. Like it was just <laughs> with the weirdness. Um uh, and I, 
but at the same time, like definitely creative because if you've never seen Twin Peaks before, you go in, you watch the show, then you watch Firewalk with me. Afterwards, once you have seen it and you decide do you want to rewatch it, you watch Firewalk with me, then the show. Yeah. Well, you never saw the third season that came out in Showtime. I love that. Yeah, I did not. And then I said I did not watch the third season. And I, and I know a lot of people said it's good, it's interesting. If you're a David Lynch and Twin Peaks fan, don't, if you're going there for answers, yeah, screw you. Don't yeah, you're, you're not going to get anything. Watch it for answers. You know, you just have to be willing. You just have to be. Willing and that's to pretty much. Yeah, Lynch. that's 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 the truth of it. Like you just have to and, deal with it. And and say. I appreciate David Lynch for who he is and what he does. I do not think I would call him a genius, and I definitely think that the appropriate number of David Lynch's in film is one. <laughs> you <laughs> just the way you put that the appropriate number of David Lynch's in film is one. Like you can't expect any more than one, and we've gone too far off the deep end and. Yeah, I, I do not want another David Lynch <laughs> actor or director. Um, all right, fair enough. Fair enough. I will. I'll give you that. I've. Uh, I I enjoyed the uh, the Twin Peaks. Um, the, the third season, I did. I, I uh, yes, I was expecting answers. No, no answers were given. Fuck it. Like at the end of the day, what are you going to do? So. Um, what is he doing anyways unrecorded night I don't know he's gone um, so anyways yeah 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 don't expect anything from uh, uh, don't expect anything from him okay well It was it was our intention to eventually watch um, the new season, but I said we we watched Firewalk with me and we started to watch. It was a whole other two hour movie of Twin Peaks, but all it was was cut footage. I don't remember what it was called off the top of my head, but all it was was cut footage from Firewalk with me. We got about thirty minutes into it, yeah. Did not get any further. So interesting, interesting. Um, all right, well, genius in film. <laughs> No genius in film. That's what we're going to go with from now on. There's no genius in film. You got to think it's kind of like music now. And I don't know enough about like the, the underground music scene because, you know, movies or movie scene, I should say, because I, they don't mean that much to me. So that's hard to say. Um, because, you know, music, they don't look for legends in music anymore. Oh, yeah. They want one hit. Yeah, record. like, again. And, and movies are kind of the same that's, way. That's why it's all superhero films. This is this is what Scorsese was getting at. And I, I get, like, he the way that he said it was, was wrong. Um, but he was basically like, film today is like going to an amusement park. And so he equated, like, the the um, the Marvel films and you know pop culture sci-fi whatever we want to call them right um, comic book films to to just going to an amusement park he's like you just go there for the thrill and then you leave 
Um, and so it, to somebody like him, I get why, why he's offended by them because film used to say something. Um, it wasn't just a bunch of shots put together to get the coolest action and CGI sequence. Like it used to mean something. There used to be a reason why you were telling the story that you were. Um, and so I get why he's, why he's where he's at with it is because now it's gone from let's tell a story to like, let's, let's just create a bankable product. What's going to make us the most money at this point in time. And that's why like Indiana Jones five, honestly, I want Indiana Jones five. I want another Indiana Jones film. I would love another Indiana Jones film, but it's just going to be another bankable product. It's not really like a true Indiana Jones. It's not in the style. Star like I wanted another Star Wars film, but at the end of the day, it was Lucasfilm trying to find a way to make money. Yeah, and that's the thing because you know maybe not you know, these things aren't brilliant or genius because but there is a thing you know you don't necessarily need or um, just because something is yeah there's a, a space and a time and place for like your cheesy action movies and just you know the sole point of this movie is to just fit as many explosions in 90 minutes of runtime as possible um and uh, speaking of that I'll say something else in a minute but that doesn't mean it should be devoid of good feeling and emotion and stuff like that. And I think that was one thing Infinity War captured very well. Even though it's a CGI Marvel superhero movie, it captured some pretty strong emotions, way more than had. I definitely think Snyder Cut was taking that direction. It was definitely trying, again, going into the fact that it's it's a pretty dialogue-heavy movie. It has a lot of non-action sequences for a superhero movie. And going back to the climax of Re- Return of the Jedi between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, their final scene, that had a lot of emotional payoff to it, you know, more than, you know, it... It was like and for being unexpected the last, struggle, like, granted, and for being the last fight between hero and villain, there really wasn't a lot of fighting. Like there was a few like zoom, 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 but then at the same time, it was more just no. talking through what was, was going it, on. It was, it, was a, it was talking, and it was it was about what was going on. And I, when I showed you Plinkett Star Wars reviews, which I don't think he's done Last Jedi yet, I haven't checked in a while. Um, he did. He did do seven and eight, but it, he didn't. Do it. But when he was bashing on the prequel trilogy, which are they're funny videos, I like watching them because I think he makes some funny jokes when he's trashing those movies. But he talked about how it was just like lightsaber, 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 and it's just like we're gonna. And a lot of people were kind of impressed visually with the updated fight choreography from the lightsaber. But when he talked about how he actually didn't like that because. In the original trilogy, whenever the lightsabers came out, it was always more about the dynamic going on between those two than the fight itself. So even in the first one with Obi-Wan and Darth Vader, like they're meeting again. Speaking of, though, if anyone actually cares and it's fun to watch, there's a updated... Somebody made it on YouTube, like a little fan video of a updated fight scene between those two. If you've ever seen that, um, it's a it's a more 
action-packed fight sequence that actually makes so, Obi-Wan still look cool. No, let's, 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 a, that, I mean, that's, that's cool. But if you talk about like that, the dynamic, uh, that is where the, uh, the, the first prequel movie actually did a good job of like trying to do a dynamic with the lightsaber duel. And yeah, we got some of Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi fighting Darth Maul and lots of like zing, 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 right? That cool. And then the double-bladed lightsaber came out. We're all like, ah, so cool. Like when we were kids, right? Double-bladed lightsaber. We've never seen that. But then, that action kind of cuts and then we get more of like the dynamic between the two, not so much talking, but just kind of the way like their interactions toward each, toward each other. Like if you think about like the scene where Obi-Wan's like the, the door closes, right? Like wherever, like the force field comes into play, which is just, that's, it was just weird to, to have the force field. Let's just throw it out there. Like why, why all these force fields to like this one area? <laughs> Yeah, it, was, it, it served a purpose served to give no a break purpose. in the action to show just, the duality of nature. It served a film to a functional purpose. You that. have Qui-Gon Jinn, like as soon as the force field closes, you have Darth Maul pacing like a wild animal between just, and you could see it, like the, he was very predator. He's waiting like a wild, like it was a caged tiger. Going yeah. back and forth, and, like and then you had uh, yeah, exactly. uh, Qui Gon Jinn sitting there meditating, trying to like bring calm. You know, no, like he he probably almost knew what he was go- going into. He knew that he probably was going into his death. Um, you know, and then it's interesting then when you see the juxtaposition after he kills Qui Gon, and it's uh, uh, Obi Wan and Darth Maul, and Obi Wan. You could just tell is like this tense, ready for battle. Like he's he's just just how that like the, the difference between the Jedi and his Padawan, the Master and the Padawan, and just you know and how they how they both and they're both pacing back and forth like caged tigers, ready to pounce on each other at any point in time. And then the force field goes up, and the fight's over in like two minutes. But you know it's um, that I thought was was a great blending of the dynamic between the two, not just pretty action sequences. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then it wasn't like the emotional weight between yes. the two characters, like it wasn't the original, but just the meeting of mortal enemies, Jedi, and Sith, which those were probably the first two Jedi to face a long time a Sith, and yeah, yeah, a long time. Um, no, it's 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 uh, it is an interesting it's it's interesting. Lucas probably did a lot more of that in. Um, I, I would definitely say in, in the uh, Revenge of the Sith uh, film, like you probably saw a little bit of that between the action sequence with Obi Wan and Anakin. But again, like it got showy, like it was still showy definitely. with like them jumping around and lightsabers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So you know, it it wasn't as Luke and hiding in the shadows trying to talk his father down and try to convince him that turn to the light side versus the other way, turn to the dark side, you know, that kind of situation. So, um, should we call it a night then? I think so. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. You, you have a very important job, sir. So, <laughs> we'll call it a night. Uh, it's been real. It's been fun. And it has been real fun. As always. Yes. No, we did. Well, you yes. got up and walked out. I felt bad the last time, so I decided to kind of, you know, go easy on you. We're, we're going to... 
It's it's funny because we're talking about the, we're easy, talking man. about that we had a fight, but I'm gonna I I've cut that all out. Like we didn't have a fight. Like as far as I'm concerned, we did not fight. It may it may show up in a later episode, but like I've just cut that whole. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And maybe if I ever get down to South Carolina again, um, it'll be a physical fight. <laughs> oh, damn it, John. Damn it. I'll just cut a leap. <laughs> John's a hugger, not a fighter. Um... Third guy called me once the cuddle assassin. That guy I worked with, and it just made me laugh because I picture somebody who assassinates like, like, cousin, like it just. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tell me that would be a great movie. The villain's the cuddle assassin. We don't know how he died. What do you mean? It just looks like he was imprinted in somebody's chest and held there very tightly. <laughs> <laughs> he was just held so close. <laughs> uh, it's kind of disgusting. It's got to be just like sweaty, hairy chest. Anyway. All right, man, we're going to cut it out. <laughs> All right. It's been fun, and it's All been right. real fun. Been John, good. I love you, brother. Um, so, all right, well, love thank you too. guys for joining us. We'll call it a night. John? Have a good one. All right. Thank you, everyone. All right.